Hello, my name is Safia Mini. I'm founder of People Tree. I'm a practitioner. And you've asked what are the areas or the problems um, of the fashion industry that I'm working on at the moment. We need to think about how we create a just transition, which will mean reducing the amount of fashion that we, we buy in a, a very, very short space of time. We know we have nine planetary boundaries of which we've exceeded four. That's land use, biodiversity, nitrogen and phosphate, and also climate. And, and we know that there's a very, very direct correlation to the fashion industry. You can actually create in ways that regenerate both communities and livelihoods as well as the earth. Because Fibre Shed is grounded in, in regional regenerative farming, that helps us to physically understand the relationship between our region and planetary boundaries. In building our regional networks of fibre and dye farmers, processors, mills and designers, Fibre sheds across the world are showing that it is possible to produce high quality and profitable fibres and dyes within nature beneficial systems. The problem is that the connection between farming and fashion has been lost. In this series, we'll be exploring the challenges that farmers and processors face, as well as the experiences and needs of designers. And we'll also dig into what a regenerative fashion system could look like by hearing from those already pioneering the path across the British Isles. I'm Emma Haig and I live on a small holding with my husband, daughter, a handful of dairy goats and a small herd of beef cattle, which we conservation graze on Gloucestershire Wildlife Trust land. I lived in Peru for five years where I worked with Indigenous women using their local natural fibre and dye resources, as well as their traditional textile expertise to re-establish a bioregional system of production for textiles, accessories and garments. Coming home in 2013, I came across Fibre Shed, the movement founded by Rebecca Burgess. Everything about it resonated with what we've been doing in Peru and what I was surprised to see so little of in the UK. I affiliated the South West England Fibre Shed in 2015. The South East England Fibre Shed was launched in autumn 2019 and now we have a total of eight regional fibre sheds across the British Isles as well as a growing network in Europe. In this first episode, we speak to farmers who grow and produce yarns from their own flocks. Lila and her mother Ellen live and work on Tamarisk Farm on the Jurassic Coast in Dorset. They tell us a bit about how they manage their sheep for wool, including grazing on mixed herbal lays, pastures sown with diverse mixes of grasses, legumes and herbs. I studied bespoke tailoring for a couple of years at Newham College in London and I still sew somewhat trying to set up a, a, a very small um, ethical clothing business which is one of the reasons that I'm really excited by the prospect of producing our own wool is that really feels you know that's as close as you can get from from the farm to fork concept if I can if I can grow the sheep get the wool off them and send it to a local mill to get it made up and then make the garments myself it's pretty good. It doesn't seem right ever to waste what you have. And we have fibre. We have marvellous fibre. 
I, I feel we have a responsibility to, to use everything we can to the very best. And we have this, this fantastic resource of all the, of all the fibre we have, all the wool we have here on these sheep. Um, and we want to make the very best of it. I feel immensely privileged to be farming here. There could be nothing better in my life that I could imagine. Um, and to, 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 to justify everything, we have to use it as well as we possibly can. And also, it spreads the joy. I mean, we, I, I have marvellous um, contact with people who really, really enjoyed using our wool. We make the yarn, it's lovely colours. They come back and they say how, they, how they've loved it. So it, it works in all sorts of ways. But we have also to make sure that it really makes sense in a financial sense, because it takes a lot of time and effort. It takes, it takes a lot of work. I mean, we, we'd be doing the shearing anyway, but when, when we're shearing, it's an extra one and a half people's work because we're sorting and putting it in the right place and making sure it's where it needs to be. And all that stuff takes time and effort. Our main flock is Dorset Downs, which are a traditional local breed. Those three over there are Shetlands. You've got the two brown ones and the white one in the middle. Um, they are, as the name suggests, native to the Isles of Shetland and they produce the softest fleece that we have. They're very sweet, pretty little things and we've got about 30 breeding ewes but we don't breed them all every year. We mostly keep them for their fleeces because they are the softest and most varied in colour. We've got about 600 acres altogether, 200-ish um, are a few, few miles down the coast towards Burton Bradstock, rented from the National Trust. The bit we're on here is about another 200 acres or thereabouts, also rented from the National Trust. Most of our arable is on this bit here, which is called uh, Labour in Vain. <laughs> Wonderful name for a bit of ground. <laughs> um, we've been using the uh, arable lays to overwinter our young, sh young sheep quite a lot at the moment, which is beneficial for them because they get some fresh, nice, rich grazing from the lay and also should help um, the ground here because by eating it, they uh, comes back out the other side in a different form, which can be more accessible to the, <clears throat> to the plants in the future. If you look at this clay, it's, it's, very, it's very wet. We're, we're working to improve it. That's what all this arable, all this grassland is about, all these deep-rooted herbs and all the, all the grazing is, is to, to try to build up the soil and improve it. But in this field, we found a few years back um, a, 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 a very rare um, subspecies called blue pimpernel, which was like, like, like the sky. It was just, just lovely. Later that day, Ellen took us to an area of National Trust land that they graze and showed us the gorse hedges where the sheep shelter from the coastal weather. There's, there's quite a lot of understanding that animals do genuinely self-medicate, actively and, and genuinely and effectively self-medicate. Also, obviously, they, they benefit in terms of their, their shelter and their variety and their interest, and, and, and some of them just love it underneath there. They've been coming under, maybe for shelter, maybe to graze the different, the different plants that are living underneath the gorse. And they're leaving behind, on the bramble, um, they're leaving behind their wool. And... I can spin it like this with my fingers and go on pulling and spinning like that and make a fibre, make a, make a ply, which I could make a lot more of. But in the past, this would have been collected by people who hadn't the money or the wherewithal to buy, buy the wool they needed to make their clothes. And they would have literally gone around picking up all of these little bits and collecting it together and eventually got enough to make, to make clothes.
We spent a long time liking the idea of, of, of making making yarn out of our wool, but not quite getting to it. And we were at that stage also you know, developing the colours we had amongst the Shetlands and so on. And then we, we found the Natural Fibre Company and they have done a lovely job um, spinning it, getting lovely colours. So, for example, we have to... We wanted to get the best out of the Dorset Down. For the first year, we, we did it using the thicker wools in the Dorset Down because it really isn't, wasn't set up for going to the finer wools. But then we discussed it and we've done worsted for the, for the finer, for the DK and the, and the four-ply with that. And that's been absolutely lovely. I didn't expect it to be so beautiful and it's absolutely glorious. So yeah, we, we've been very happy with what we've got. And it's been a totally good thing. <laughs> so I had the amazing privilege of being able to visit Tamarisk Farm in person when we made um, the short film for Fibershed last year and I was just struck by the deep integrity with which Ellen and Lila and their family farm, eat, dress, they really, they do, they live and breathe what they're talking about and that's what we need for the future of fashion. We need designers who also live and breathe this level of rootedness and connectedness to our local landscapes and environments. Too often, regenerative is understood only in ecological terms, paying little to no attention to the social and economic landscapes in which a business also operates. Regenerative can and should mean far more than soil health. I think we all have to be really realistic about the changes that we have got to make. We cannot carry on the way we are. We have to take responsibility for how we are farming, how we are producing clothes as consumers, how we are buying and wearing clothes and the choices that we make. My name's Katie Allen and my business is Loopy Use. I'm a farmer and a knitwear designer maker based in Gloucestershire. I'm a member of Southwest England Fibershed and I have a Southwest England Fibershed accredited collection of garments. Not just preventing harm, it's about actually adding benefit and helping our, our, our regional communities and our farmed environments to, to regenerate and heal. I started life out uh, in marketing, went on to do a graphics degree and ran my own graphic design business. I'm able to look at uh, like scale and placement and colour and pattern and um, interpret that and, and create that. And I love photography. And so I'm lucky that I have those skills that I can inject into, into my work. If you haven't got a designer or the design skills to really make it an aspirational product at the end, you're going to struggle to add that value. I bought my sheep about 10 years ago. I was running an organic smallholding on the North Cornwall coast and needed grazing livestock and sheep are an obvious choice when you're a smallholder. And I specifically wanted to work with native rare breeds because of their hardiness and their ability to work and thrive in a pasture-based system as well. I was also looking at this fabulous fleece that um, they grow every year and a lot of the farmers were talking to me about their wool clip and the lack of value that they saw in it and the poor price that they were getting. And they were quite dismissive of it. And I think I just sort of thought, well, that doesn't seem right to me. That's crazy. There has to be a better way to do this. So the journey very much started out with uh, trying to address the poor 
value that is seen with British wool and wanting to um, make more and add value to my own flocks fleeces. And then as, as I've gone along the journey and learned more about um, how textiles are produced, positive impact that we can have on all the different stages, right through to how the fibre is grown, how it's processed, and then how garments are made, and, and then how they're disposed of at the end of their life. And the more I delve into it, the more horror stories I hear, but also the more convinced it makes me feel more passionate about a local accountable textile economy. So I think if you have a regenerative mindset, you approach things with a degree of humbleness, if that makes sense. I think you come at something seeing yourself not as dominating a system, but as part of a system and that you have an ability to help in a positive way within that system. And so you're always thinking and looking at everything you do and trying to understand how you can do better and how you can make that system better, whether that's looking at your farming system or whether that's looking in your studio at how um, you might manage waste or how you source your fibres or things like that. It's a way of living, I think. I discovered Fibre Shared a few years ago when I was approached by Emma Haig, founder of South West England Fibre Shed. I'd not heard of it at all. I went off and read the Becker's book and was, you know, re- really interested and in, in, intrigued. And the more I learn about it and the more I embrace the Fibre Shed model, the more I understand that so many of the key principles of Fibre Shed are important for really changing uh, on a very impactful scale how we produce textiles. I don't think there is one key principle that you can pull out of Fibre Shed. It's important that there are several strands working together and that's what makes it so unique and such a good template or pattern or or system, I guess, to replicate. I think dealing with how you're producing that fibre in a way that, that is regenerative for the land, but also there's no point producing a fiber fiber in a regenerative way and then shipping it overseas and it being spun in a mill that's burning coal to power their energy and you don't know what pay the staff are receiving things like that so it's about keeping it the keeping it local the keeping the processing local is just as important as growing the fiber regeneratively and the importance of not adding any toxic chemicals at any stage along the process so that at the end of the product's life cycle you can get rid of it in a in a beneficial way i don't think you could take take a point out of the fiber shed model and say this is the key key bit i think the reason it works so well is because it is a I guess, a set of principles that work together to produce something that's really, really pure. Pure is a word I think I use to describe the outcome of of a fibre shed model. The fibre shed model offers um, everybody within the fibre supply chain a, a way of going forward and a framework of how to produce in a in a better way that is what we need fundamentally 
to, to work more sustainably. It's so great to have Katie using, but also advocating for the fibre shed model. She brings um, curiosity and an energy to her work that I hope will inspire both farmers and designers alike. She just won't be held back by how things have been done previously. And she's tirelessly questioning uh, the system and pushing to improve it and drive it forwards. In 2020, she won the RSA Student Design Award for her Soil to Soil Undyed Knitwear Collection. And that's something which has raised the profile of the fibre shed system as a whole. Through our work with Fibre Shed, we're seeing more and more interest from the fashion industry in materials produced within regenerative systems. Likewise, there is increasing interest from farmers looking for ways to expand the things they do on their farms, or to add value to fibres that they're already producing. But one of the biggest challenges that many farmers face is how to tap into a growing market. One way of doing this is by breaking away from traditional supply chains and instead creating supply networks and working directly with designers and others involved in the production of their products. Jen Hunter and Andy Ware from Fernhill Farm, Somerset, are a farming partnership doing just that. Before we hear from them, a few definitions. Jen refers to clip, which means the total amount of fleece that is shorn from a flock in a year. Also micron, which is a unit of diameter or thickness used for grading wool. Finally, Andy refers to sward, meaning an area of ground, including the soil and grass covering. It's a whole new learning process to get people to think about what their clothes are made from so that people can actively be aware of the difference between a natural fibre and a synthetic fibre. Finding a use for the, the main clip is hopefully um, coming along with sort of regenerative certification so that the fashion industry can actually use their purchasing powers to support people that are retrained um, into regenerative agriculture. Andy's always been really good at combining primitive genes with sort of some of the more modern meat breeds to create this multi-purpose ewe that you've kind of seen in the field. So what she delivers is uh, meat and wool from just grazing, you know, grass-fed all the way. And we've always really liked natural colours, but they do come with different microns. You know, black tends to be more coarse as a general rule. Um, white is definitely perceived as finer, not in all cases, but generally it's perceived as finer. And I want to make sure that we've got a very good, clear market for our sort of, sort of regenerative wool in the future. Traditionally, we've just done commission yarns. Now I'm moving into commissioning for myself to create finished products with the Bristol Weaving Mill. So that's quite exciting. And um, again, it's a confidence thing. And it's about knowing, you know, the whole supply chain from, you know, fibre growers right the way through to the finishers, you know, what it's going to look like after it comes out of the finishers. So, um, yeah, I do try and maintain a connection with all those people. You know, I'm really good at picking the phone up and just having a chat because I like it. Time frames is the hardest thing. You know, we're all waiting for each other. Sometimes we're waiting for the time when we can get the wool ready because it needs shearing. Sometimes you're waiting for the spinners because they've got a backlog or they're on the wrong colour. Certainly when you're dealing with coloured wool, you've got to wait till that sort of slot fits in. 
Um, and then you've got to wait for the weaving mill to, you know, to put it on and then, you know, finishing it's quite quick. But, you know, it is logistically quite difficult and that's why you need to build a relationship, I think, and just be able to pick up the phone and have a conversation. What's wonderful about the Fibre Shed is it's a platform where lots of us smaller producers can all work together. It's so hard to keep finding new markets all the time. And producers are generally rubbish at marketing. I mean, they're two completely different skill sets. And we just don't, as a producer, it's not in our not in most of our sort of natural abilities to shout about how good our products are. So, yeah, lovely, gorgeous um, native grey lamb's fleece here. This would have been shorn autumn time, blade shorn. Uh, we're just marketing those lambs now, so they've done really well by taking the wool off. And you can see it's really, really sound. Loads of colour. And, you know, we've got this amazing crop. Um, and it's kind of our UPS, really. You know, no, not many other people even like coloured wool. We love it. And, you know, we've got managed to get the micron lower and lower and the meat production up and up. And, yeah, it's probably 25% of the income per sheep is from wool these days. So that's one of the lovely comments I always get is, how are your fleeces so clean? And because we're regenerative, because we're 100% grass-fed and because... <laughs> Andy spends his entire life, really, electric fencing and moving groups on. They're only going to be in that on that grassy patch for probably four days. So we're a bit like nomadic shepherds, keeping the sheep on the move, keeping them under control, and hopefully marketing through our loosely knit family all products to the highest ability we can. We kind of look at the grass that's in a field and go, yeah, that's enough for 160 use for three days, which in the winter time, we can't be every day fencing sheep. Um, so three days is enough and then move them on to the next break. They're always getting fresh feed, keeps everybody happy, keeps us busy. To redress the balance, creating good meat and good wool, we started off the flock with Shetlands, which are hardy native breed. Um, we've used the Romney to increase the size and the wool weight to justify a lot of the jobs we're doing. And we've ended up with a breed of sheep like this that's growing quite a big fleece, but quite a fine fleece. So it's still good for a lot of uh, kind of wool trade. Um, I quite like them. When the sheep are feeding, the ideal sport has got a whole multitude of forage growing not just one type of grass. We want 30, 40 different types of grasses and herbs. So they've got a complete diet. Like us, you don't want to just eat one thing, you want bits of everything. And by moving the sheep regularly and keeping them high intensity on that small patch of land you're moving them onto, they have to eat everything. They don't, because sheep are fairly selective. If you give them that chance to be selective, they'll leave the bits they don't want and we want them to eat everything because it's better for them. Now they call it regenerative land management. We've been doing it as long as they have, so yeah, and it does work. The extra grass production, I think we're getting 20, 30, maybe 50% more when you start getting into after five to 10 years, more than pays for the work. And you've, you've got to be going to look at your stock every day. So while you're there, 
when you walk around them, you just want to put a fence out, move them on. And most people who keep stock, if your stock look happy and healthy, you feel better about it. There's much more grass growing. Because we don't graze it down to tight, natural interaction, sunlight, rainfall, root growth is all still there, ready to go again. If we grazed it really tight, it just takes longer to come back. If you're selective, you lose the multitude of species that you want. So as far as the grassland, that's the best part. That healthy diet helps sheep have healthy wool. Healthy wool means you've got a healthy sheep. Healthy wool means you can shear them within reason. We shear a lot with the blades, which means you can shear them all the way from February all the way through to October. Leaving that wool on them, they got natural cover and they're going straight back out onto good grazing again. So we're reducing issues. There seems to be less metabolic upsets within the sheep, so they stay healthier. We're possibly reducing the amount of uh, anthelmintic wormers we've got to use. Because they're moving regularly, you don't get disease buildup. Because they're not picking tight down to the soil, where most diseases are, they stay healthier. So it's a win-win scenario, which as other farmers explore that method of farming, they go, oh, that's easier. That's refreshing. It's actually making farming, even on a day like today, fun. So I'm not convinced that there would even be a fibre shed in the southwest if it weren't for Jen and Andy and Fernhill. I happened to move quite close to them when I first came back from South America and moved to Somerset and I found the scale of what they were doing together with their respect um, for the land that they're stewarding. I found it really opened doors for me in understanding what Fibershed thinking could achieve and how it could operate as a viable system. Not to mention that now they're also certified by both a Greener World and the Savory Institute's Land to Market programme for their regenerative wool production. This episode was co-produced by South East England and South West England Fibersheds with support from Farmerama Radio, edited by Hattie Francis-Bell and funded by Necessity and the A-Team Foundation. The South West and South East Fibershed collaboration is now developing a toolkit for farming and fashion sectors to signpost best practices and resources for exploring what a regenerative fibre and fashion system could look like due to launch next year. <laughs>